I'm so thankful for all of our incredible worship team and our production team. I mean, I love these brothers and sisters that serve in this way. I'm, um, I was chatting with Josh about this just a little bit ago about how um, what, what the production team, what the worship team are doing is they are not just making a worship production. What they are doing is they are, if they are producing anything, it is the utilization of musical instruments and vocal instruments and technology. And so that we can be ushered into the throne room of King Jesus. And then they just get out of the way and allow that space to exist. I think that's such a beautiful reality that that's what they have the opportunity to do here each Sunday. But the reality is we have the opportunity to do that on a regular basis in the life of one another and the people around us. To be ushers of others into the kingdom of God. When you think about the throne room of King Jesus, who's there? Who's around you to your left and to your right, behind you and in front of you? Are they people who look, think, and act just like you? See, see, we have such a beautiful opportunity when we reflect on the kingdom and what it means um, to be reminded that it's not like me when I was an eight-year-old, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Um, when, you were, when you were about eight, did you guys in your elementary school, but perhaps you guys had like fundraisers that you would you'd do in your, your classes, would all compete against one another with a fundraiser. And maybe you got something like, awesome, like a pizza party if you won the competition. You remember that? Pizza party? It was awesome. But you know what made pizza party even better? The fact that your class got it and the other classes didn't. Like that's what makes pizza party awesome. Otherwise, if everyone got the pizza party, you'd just call it lunch in the cafeteria, right? But like, like it was special because you won. They didn't in their face, you know? When I uh, see there's something so fun when something's exclusive. When growing up in my neighborhood, the kids in Thicket Court in Houston, California, where I grew up, uh, all the boys and girls were, uh, in our cul-de-sac were really close and tight, and we, we were like a crew, and we and 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 we rode hard together as eight-year-olds. And um, and what we would do is we we loved to come up with new ideas for projects that we would come up with in our minds. So like one time uh, we called ourselves selves the Daredevils. I know it was pretty edgy. I know this, this, this was the early 2000s. Uh, and, um, and so, and then we'd, we'd get our name. Dan was first important, most important thing, right? The name. And, uh, and then we came up with a concept that went with the name. And so our concept was that we would, um, we created essentially like a stunt team and we were going to be in the stunt business or something. I don't know, but we were going to create a video. We needed that part. And we would do crazy awesome things like um, my friend Mike would be on his skateboard or his scooter and then I'd hold a rope around me with rollerblades on and then we'd go down the steepest driveway in our very flat cul-de-sac okay like and then record it with camcorders from our parents and daredevils right like like we're definitely going to Hollywood with this stuff um and then, so we'd work on these plans for days. And then finally, one afternoon would come and it was time to put it into production. And for like half an afternoon, we began to actually live in that. And then we'd get bored of that. And then we would come up with a new nickname and new plan and we'd do the cycle over again. But see, what we really loved about this 
wasn't just uh, the entrepreneurial vision and all of that stuff. What we loved about it is that this was for the kids in our cul-de-sac, not for the other kids in the other cul-de-sacs. In fact, if they wanted to join in, tough luck. This is for our crew. And see, the idea was by being, we were excited by feeling exclusive. Other neighbor kids weren't allowed in. That made us feel special. Now, as a parent, when I think of Asher and Abby, I hope that is not their outlook on other kids in, uh, in their neighborhoods or in their schools. In fact, I want our kids to grow up to hopefully not, be, not think in terms of exclusivity, but instead, how do I invite others in? Um, especially the, the marginalized and the socially awkward kids in class. Because like, let's be real, my kids are toddlers. They seem both pretty cool to me so far, but like they might be the socially awkward kid in the class. I don't know, but I want them to invite in kids into their life, into their story. I want them to be included and to include others. But yeah, I still struggle with wanting to be exclusive. That feeling of I have something or I'm a part of something that not everyone else is invited into. And that can give us this sense of external validation that is so quickly unhealthy to our souls. I realize that I am definitely not alone in this. Uh, in fact, if you look at, on your social media feed, exclusivity is kind of the name of the game, right? People who think, believe, and act like me are acceptable and included. Those who don't are unacceptable, excluded. We see this in the world of politics, in the media, social media, in our workplaces. It can cause fear and anxiety for those who are excluded. And it can give pride and superiority for those who are included. It's like for us to have an us, there has to be a them. And this ends up becoming a formed identity more around how we are so different than who we are, who we are. And you could think of a ton of examples of this, I'm sure. But the question is, is there a better way than this? Is this reflective of God's heart? Does he want us to separate and to have a, a tribe around us and then we separate from the world around us? Or is there a better way than what the boys and girls of Thicket Court in Houston, California did against the kids in the rest of the neighborhood of Fox Glen? This us versus them. So tonight we continue on in Paul's letter to Timothy that we refer to as 1 Timothy. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles there, we're in chapter two tonight. So far, we have learned how Paul wrote the letter of 1 Timothy out of what he calls the aim of love. Everything is about love. The essence, the focus, the, the, the ultimate end is love. And part of this was to charge his beloved disciple, a guy named Timothy, to approach false teachers with correction about ways that they had been adding to God's law out of arrogant ignorance to build themselves up and to profit off of their teachings. In other words, they had lost the aim of true love. Even more than that, these false teachers were building themselves up by creating this exclusivity around them in their teachings. They were speculating about genealogies in the book of Genesis and dedicating themselves to myths about biblical figures. I mean, that's not stuff that we probably regularly uh, struggle with, but this is a reality in their day and age. And they were adding to the law with realities like if you get married or if you eat certain kinds of food, then you can't be saved in the kingdom of God. In other words, instead of acting as ushers into the kingdom of God, they're acting like bouncers. And Paul was not a fan. But something Paul was a fan of, God's mercy and grace. 
See, Paul knew, knew that he was no better on his own than these false teachers, that he called himself, he called himself where we were at last week, he called himself the foremost of sinners. It's as if, if God's love was radiation and sunlight from the sun. Paul said, I am at the deepest depths of the ocean. If you're in the Mariana Trench, you went all the way down. That's where I was in my sinfulness. The foremost, the absolute rock bottom. But even there, the grace and mercy of Jesus found me. In other words, God's love is deep. God's love is deep. Even there, God's love can find you and redeem you. But tonight, we're moving from God's love being deep to the reality that God's love is also wide. So while I read this passage, um, what I'd love for you to do is to underline in your Bible, every time you see the word all, if you happen to have a pen or if you have a highlighter or if you have a highlighter on your app. Uh, And I want you to underline the word all. And here's why. Because whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the same word used multiple times, it's for a reason. And the author is trying to get you to get focused around a concept. So every time you read that word all, go ahead and underline it. Okay. So, first of all, then I urge that, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So that word all is used five times. The first time is a little bit of an odd one, but um, the other four times in our English language, Five times that word all makes its appearance. The first one, first of all, so kind of all, but the idea behind that with uh, using that phrase is to say that before I get to the meat of this letter, before I get to all the things that are being difficult within your local church context, first of all, what's this first of all? First of all, first of all, then I urge its supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So Paul is just like, we're already in chapter two. So he's already been going in this letter for a bit. And now he is saying, first of all, like before I get to the point, pause prayer break. Now for us, we might read that and think, man, Paul, always making it spiritual, bringing up prayer and stuff, but like, let's get to it. Let's, let's go. You got stuff to say, right? But Paul is getting to the point. Paul's getting to exactly the point that if the aim is love, then prayer is vitally important that we get to. What he's doing is a masterful job of correction by speaking up what all of us should be up to. Remember, these false teachers have been speaking out of arrogant ignorance, adding to God's law by excluding others and building themselves up in the process. And what Paul is saying is, first of all, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. Pray for all people. 
So the false teachers are excluding, they're picking and choosing. And Paul's desire is this church would include everyone, even in their prayers, that that would be a part of their focus. Now, what difference does it make when you pray for someone? Now, there's the very real reality that prayer actually works. We have the ear of our heavenly father. And when we talk to him, he desires to truly listen. And as, and as we engage in this dance of conversation with him, he does things, he operates as he hears. So what difference does it make when you're praying for all persons? Well, realities can be affected. Now, Think about what all people means. All people includes those people that have offended you, betrayed you, hurt you. It includes the politician you can't stand whenever that person shows up on TV. It includes your spouse, a neighbor, roommates, family members, children, coworkers, leaders at work. All people. It includes Vladimir Putin, President Xi in China. It includes dictators. It includes those who are under the oppression of those dictators. Now, I think that Paul should have put in a disclaimer at this point. Because you see, if you pray for these kind of people, something might happen, not just in the world, but even in yourself. And I think Paul should have warned us about that. And I'm gonna give you this disclaimer. If you pray for all people, if you pray for the people that you are tempted to exclude or discard, the people that just kind of annoy you, the people that you really don't like, or the people that you downright can't forgive or hate or embittered to, if you do that, your heart might start softening toward them. You might start seeing them the way God does. As an, as an image bearer. You might, you might stop wanting bad for them and instead wanting God to bring restoration and redemption into their life and into their heart and wanting good, God's best for them. You might start growing in empathy and compassion towards them. You might even begin to, over, to offer forgiveness and release yourselves from your bondage of bitterness and unforgiveness. So that's the disclaimer. If you pray for all people, it very likely will affect you. So why, Paul? Why are you doing this? Why is Paul saying pray for all people? Well, before we get there, let's think about what he says. He talks about, a, he uses four different words to describe prayer. He says supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. Uh, prayers is like the umbrella term and the other three are different types of prayers. So supplications is when you make a request to a person. When you supplicate somebody is you are making a request. So when you write your letter to Santa Claus each year for Christmas, you are making supplications to Santa Claus. Now, we have a Heavenly Father that's much better at listening to us than Santa Claus. So we can, in fact, make supplications to him. Now, for many of us, that's kind of where we can end our prayer life, though. God, give me things. This would be helpful. And he wants to hear those things. But also, there's intercession. Now, intercession was when we talk to the Father on behalf of another. Thanksgivings. This is when we are thanking the Father for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. So that's a pretty holistic view of prayer and a quick little summation, right? So it's almost as if we could use pray for all people in all ways. A very holistic understanding of what prayer is. 
then Paul is now going to explain to us how or who should be included in these all people. Is it like, like kind of like just a kind of a general all people, but really he's kind of just overselling it just a bit. Well, in two verse two, he says, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Kings, all leaders in high position. I mean, that sounds really biblical and stuff, but do you want to do that? Think about the leaders in your life, in your workplace. That one that frustrated you last week when you had that interaction, you found out behind your back about somebody else that was told what that leader really thought of you or whatever that is. Can you imagine praying, genuinely praying for all leaders in your workplace, in our state, in our nation, in our world? And I don't mean just pray, praying prayers of gratitude when they are the leaders you, dis, you agree with and praying prayers of request when they are leaders that you disagree with, but genuinely offering sincere care through prayer for even those who are difficult, especially for those who are difficult. I mean, Paul, do you understand how hard 2022 is going to be? I mean, doesn't he understand the, the turmoil of social media? Like he didn't have to deal with that. Instead, I mean, he had to deal with things like literally being chained in, as a political prisoner of the emperor, who was in fact Emperor Nero, who is so evil that, if, that about a decade after this letter is written, he's literally gonna burn down half of his city just so that he can um, do a home makeover Rome edition uh, on the entire city of Rome. And then he's gonna blame it specifically on the Christians and the Jews. The guy is definitely one for the record books. Paul's saying, yeah, that guy. Paul isn't standing in a place of privilege and going, I mean, you guys who are kind of, you guys seem to be having some difficulties. You guys figure it out. He is saying, again, the same way that he is the foremost of sinners. He's like, I know what it is like to have, be under difficult circumstances by terrible leaders. Pray for them. Pray for kings and all who sit in high positions. He's saying that when we pray for all people, that should even include the people that we feel best to leave off the list in the first place. He even explains that if these, that these prayers might even lead us into a season of peace that's going to uh, actually create us for us peaceful existence. Now, that's aspirational and wonderful. And that can be the reality. So it might. But what Paul is definitely getting at is prayer matters. And not just prayer for when it's simple or when it makes sense to us, but prayer for all people in all ways matters. Paul goes on to say, this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, last week we talked about that same word that he's gonna use here, that word good. He uses that to describe God's law. He says, the law is good if one uses it properly, lawfully. In the same way, he uses the word good again. Prayer is for, for all people is also good. And then he explains why it's good. Because it reveals God's heart for all people. God desires that all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Okay, so it says that they use that word pleasing, pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. I want you to think for a second, who do you like to please? And I don't mean in a, in a healthy, um, people-pleasing way. I mean, just like you, you like to delight a person, your friends, family. If you work at, uh, if you work at Walt Disney World, uh, like little guests who are uber cute, dressed in a costume, and they're so kind and, and, and not mean and not wanting to kick your legs, like those guests, like what would you do for that child? Like anything, you want to please that kid. You want to see the biggest smile on their face and they're going to be so grateful for the magic you make. There's like, it's so good, right? You like to please them. Maybe for you, it's a significant other, a friend, a parent, a roommate, whoever. But I'm going to be honest. I don't often think this way in that same frame of reference around pleasing when I think about pleasing God. See, when I think about pleasing God, my mind still goes to this, this terrible, unbiblical misconception that trying to please God is more attached to not wanting him to punish me or to be wrathful upon me. But here again, we get the concept of pleasing God. We see what pleases God. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, what he is rooting and connecting what pleases God is love. When we are living in love, when we are offering prayers for those who are near, those who are far, those who are like us, those who aren't all people, it pleases God. It pleases God when we do that because when we are praying in that way, we're speaking his language of love. We're pursuing the same people that he cares about. We are becoming active participants with him in his work of redemption. Now, what this does not say is that all people will inherently be saved. But what Paul is saying is that God desires that all people will be saved. See, you and I, we don't know how any person we will interact with might respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But here's what we do have the privilege of and their responsibility toward, to pray and to love every person as if God might save them. Because while we don't know any person's story might include, we do know that God loves them and he desires them. Now, universalism suggests that all truth leads to the same end point, but God's desire is that they would, that, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is, who Jesus is, what he has accomplished on the cross to redeem and to restore us back to himself which is where Paul goes in verse five. For there is one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In a culture that prizes inclusivity, exclusive claims about God feels completely out of place and out of touch in our world. To say that there's only one God and only one way to salvation makes sense why the world hears claims like that and goes, ooh, that sounds weird now. And it is, if. If we all do the position that there should be multiple ways to the divine. But according to the scriptures, before Jesus, there were no ways back to God. None. Our best doesn't get to him. It doesn't lead to heaven. It's running up against a brick wall. But see, Jesus came into the world to reveal to us who God is, what he is like, what his heart is for humanity, his desire to redeem and to restore us back to himself. 
See, on the cross, Jesus canceled the debt of our brokenness, our sinfulness by taking it on himself. At the resurrection, he created a path for us to return to the kingdom of heaven and for the kingdom to break through into our planet of death. And at the ascension, Jesus became, as it says here, the one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He returned back to the father on our behalf. That word mediator, I want you to hear what that means. A mediator is somebody who stands between two people and helps the communication along. That is Jesus for us now. That was Jesus for Timothy and Paul and the church in Ephesus then. Jesus is on the throne, talking to the Father on our behalf, passing along communication. See, the terms that Paul is using here are pretty exclusive terms and it makes God more exclusive than even these false teachers. But unless we understand that before Jesus, there were zero options between, in communication between us and God and God himself sending his son, Jesus, to die so that we could have the one way to be redeemed and to be drawn into his embrace, to be adopted into his family. That is the depths of his love matched by the width of his love. He gave himself up as a ransom for all. That people from every people group, socioeconomic background, nationality, race, backstory, could be drawn in near to himself. The gospel may seem exclusive in the sense that only Jesus can save, but it's also radically inclusive that people from all walks of life are drawn near to himself. This is why Christianity, as far as religious faith traditions, is the most diverse across every version of reality in the history of the planet. Because Jesus went after the all. He went after the all, which is what Paul finishes this section off in verses six and seven, talking about himself who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I love that he makes that clarification, by the way. You're like, like I was really wondering about that. So thanks, Paul. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, a teacher of the Gentiles. If you grew up in church, you're used to that language. If you're not, that means virtually nothing to you. Gentile means non-Jew. If you grew up in, in the church, that phrase, Gentile, is like, yeah, non-Jewish people, they know Jesus too. I'm not Jewish. So yeah, it makes sense. 40 years before this, 40 years before this was written, any thought that Jews and non-Jews would both have access to Yahweh was unthinkable unthinkable. Absolutely. Like the idea that they would have a teacher? No. If a, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they became a god fear, and then they became one who would go through all these rituals and, uh, and sacraments to make themselves come into this space, but basically become Jewish if you want, your, want to come to Yahweh. But Paul the worst of the worst was transformed so that not only was the invitation, hey, you, are, you Gentile folk, come on in. Paul went to them and said, come on in. Paul, who was previously the most exclusive religious leader, 
who put these false teachers to shame becomes the one who is calling the gospel, calling people, beckoning them, come and be a part of the family. It's not just the Jews. It's all who are going to return. And see, this is reflective of from the earliest pages of Genesis when God elects a, a specific group of people to be his people. He selects the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And he says, he says, it's not because you're special. It's because I have a task for you. You are going to carry the gospel. You are going to carry not the gospel of Jesus, but the good news that I have come to the world. The way that he phrases it is you will be a blessing to the nations. Now, they didn't always act like the blessing to the nations. So when Jesus comes on this theme, the Jews seem super confused by the things he's doing. He's going out of his way to talk to Gentiles. He goes out of his way to talk to a Samaritan woman who was living in rampant sin. Like they just didn't even, they didn't have categories for this stuff in their minds. But that's what Jesus did. And in the book of Acts, when the gospel of Jesus begins to move from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, which back then was all the way to Spain. Like it was pretty far, guys. And they were carrying the gospel. The gospel was moving like wildfire to people that were unthinkably receiving it. And then the conclusion of the scriptures, we have the book of Revelation, where people from every tribe, tongue and people group are represented worshiping King Jesus on the throne. See, for those of us who know and follow after Jesus, that's our future. And for those of you who are here and you're like, I, I don't know if I know Jesus, I, I wouldn't say I follow after him. That invitation's for you. See, all this is for is to be a group of beggars who have found a source of food. We come together to share what we're learning, to make disciples, all nations, right here. When we come together, we have the opportunity to not just not stand in a space of spiritual, spiritual bouncers of the kingdom, but instead saying, hey, hey, you're welcome in. That's what Paul saw is his calling. And that's what we have the opportunity for. Because when you have the image of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is going to look a lot more diverse than we could ever imagine. It's going to be represented by people from the last 2000 years and all the years into the future until Jesus' return. It's going to be filled with people from every walk of life, from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people group. It's going to be beautiful. And see, the Bible is the unified story that leads us to Jesus. And it tells us of the relentless pursuit that Jesus makes to go after the all. And so when we read this, that we, that Paul's encouraging Timothy to lead this church to pray for all people. Because God loves all people. He desires to save all people. Jesus died as a ransom for all people. Each of those alls should mean a lot more to us than it often means to me. So Paul sees it as not his, just his calling or his responsibility, but his privilege to go after the all. The question is, do we see that as ours? Will you, will I? We have the opportunity to fight back against the human desire to exclude the cast off and instead say, welcome in. 
I have the bread of life. When you're at work at WDW, do you see the opportunity that you have to go after the all? See, you go after the all as you pray for coworkers and managers in your car before you head into your shift or on your breaks. You're going after the all because you are inviting in, God, let your kingdom come. Your will be done at Walt Disney World as it is in heaven, in this break room as it is in heaven. You go after the all as you pray for family members. You go after the all as you pray for your roommates and your neighbors. You go after the all as you pray for our political leaders and shoot, even celebrities and influencers. You go after the all. And this is our privilege that we get to discover God's love by going after the all because we serve a God who went after us. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Paul a lot of times, the foremost of sinners, I can't believe you would redeem and restore me, but you did. And if you did that to me, I can't imagine what you wanna do with all those that you've surrounded me with. I can't believe in your sovereignty that there's any coincidences in this world. So we are chosen to be his so that we can go after others and to be active participants with him in his work of redemption if we take the opportunity. So we're absolutely called into the story to pray for the all. And as we pray for the all, we, will, we allow our hearts and our lives and our minds to be transformed that we partner with him in active participation. Imagine what the world would see if the church genuinely prayed for the all. So tonight, we're gonna take Paul at his words here and we're gonna take time to pray for the all. So what, we're gonna, what I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna put, uh, we're gonna, for about 10 minutes, and what I'm gonna ask is that you would find maybe one or two other people near you. Turn around if, if you're new here, this is your first time, feel no awkwardness if, um, for any of you here. If either you don't know Jesus and you're like, I don't know about this whole prayer thing or, or if, uh, if, if you're just not comfortable praying out loud, honestly, that's totally okay. I would just encourage you maybe just get into a group and when it's your turn, just say, it's okay, can I just listen in? And um, instead, what I would invite all of us into is to enter into a space of prayer, praying for the all and just leaving it open. Maybe it is your enemy. Maybe there is somebody in your life that there's unforgiveness towards and you need to pray for that person. Maybe there is a political figure. Maybe it's um, a neighbor, a roommate, spouse, a child, whoever it is in your life. Who do you need to pray for? Let's take a moment offering intercessions, thanksgivings, um, and go with our request and make them known to God. And then I'll close up in prayer. So go ahead and divide into groups. I don't know. I don't know when you're thinking right now about the idea of praying for all people, even just envisioning all people, what that triggers for you, the difficulties. But if you only knew, maybe when you're thinking about the all people, you're like, what do I even have to offer? But the reality is, is that I have to take God at his word. That his desire is to save all people in the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is. And so I would hope that in the week ahead that you'd be able to rest in that, to be reminded of that. And if you're here tonight and, and, and all this sounds new or odd or weird to you, 
we would love to invite you to have conversations within this community about those realities, to process and to learn and discover that you might come into the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, that you can ask questions, you can wrestle, and you can know that you'd be safe to do that here. And if you're here tonight and you're just struggling, I'd love now to intercede on your behalf. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Father, right now we offer up these supplications, intercessions, and thanksgivings to you. All prayer for all people. I thank you for every human that is in this room right now. I thank you that you are pursuing, that you are pursuing God who goes after the all. I pray that we would be, we'd see our opportunity in that. But Lord, we can only in, engage in that opportunity as we understand our own belovedness and that we are a part of you. So I pray that every person in this room would either already know you or would come to the knowledge of your truth in Jesus. That they would experience so deeply your love and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and grace. That everything else would be an overflow of that. Would be an overflow of your kindness, of your generosity, of your unfading, unending pursuit. Yes, Lord. You are the God who would sacrifice himself for beggars and beggars who are opposed. And then you call us your kids. So I pray for any bondage around areas of trauma, any spaces of darkness that have remained in the shadows, addictions. Pray, Lord, right now that your spirit would be working even now in the life of your kids in new and powerful ways. That you would bring healing and freedom even now. That where there's been spaces of unbelief, bring faith. Where there have been spaces of unforgiveness, bring hope. Where there has been trauma, bring healing. How cool is it that you're our dad? And then we get to approach you as our dad. And a really good dad at that. So we pray now, Lord. And we pray and we join together in praying for all people. We pray for, we pray for political leaders in our local environment. Pray for Governor DeSantis. We pray for at our national level, President Biden, Vice President Kamala. We pray around our globe. We pray for President Zelensky in Ukraine, President Putin in Russia, President Xi in China. Pray for world leaders who have demonstrated humility and fairness and justice 
And we pray for those who've done the polar opposite. We pray that each of these individuals and all the individuals in these, these, these people, these leaders in high positions at Walt Disney World and stretching the globe would experience your love, your kindness, your truth, your grace, and your mercy. And then in doing so and in coming into a real interaction with the Savior of the world, that their hearts would be transformed. And in doing so, it would be good for whoever they lead. Yes, Father. We pray and we give you thanksgiving because you are the one who has come. You are the one who is sent. You are the one who is redeemed and restored and we cannot sing enough praises. So tonight, Help our our songs of praise be lifted up to your ears. That we would unite together as brothers and sisters coming into your throne room to worship our King, King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.